Really happy to have the kids in the service for the scripture reading, for the song singing, and it's about that time that they would like to be dismissed to the classroom. So we're glad and happy for them to have a class that they can attend where they will they will hear the gospel at their level. And uh, this is this is wonderful. We think this is appropriate, and uh, we're we're committed uh, to this. We're in First Peter this morning. Feel free to take your Bible. You got to go toward the back of the book, through Paul's writings, through the book of Hebrews, James. There we go. First Peter. The apostle wrote two letters. These are considered general epistles. They were not written to a specific congregation like uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians or Paul's letter to the Colossians or the Philippians. This is a general epistle. It's written to the saints living literally at the edge of society in Asia Minor. Uh, We're not going to do it right now, but you could look possibly at a map in your Bible and look at Asia Minor and these, uh, these believers had been scattered. In fact, if you, if you look there in verse 1, Peter identifies himself as the writer. He says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's writing this letter. This letter is in the canon of Scripture. Therefore, it is binding on you and I as believers and on the church collectively. This is the Lord's word through his apostle to us But he identifies these people as those who were exiles. He identifies them as the elect. They are chosen. In fact, it's interesting combination of words. They're right together in the original. They are elect exiles. And he says they reside as aliens, meaning that they have no citizenship where they are. Uh, they are, they have no, uh, no particular rights. They have been uh, persecuted. They've been ostracized. They've been marginalized. They've been scrutinized. Uh, they're living in a hostile world. Peter says they're scattered. He names the provinces, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, all across Asia Minor. That's a vast territory there. And then he gets into their salvation. Well, let's go down to the text. We're beginning in verse 10 and we'll revisit. We'll go back up to verse two and you'll see why the moment we read these four words, we'll read the first four words of verse 10 in first Peter chapter one. As we read and study through this letter, as to this salvation. So what salvation? Well, the salvation that he's just talked about. Uh, he, He is talking to these people who have received Jesus. And the way Peter describes that salvation 
In other words, these people that received Jesus, he says in verse two, three things. According to the foreknowledge of God, the father. Meaning no accidents with God. There are no accidents with him. There's no randomness. God is intentional. He is intentional toward his children. So no surprises with the father. And then he goes on, he says, by the sanctifying work of the spirit. Many times, most times we, when we think of sanctification, we think of that ongoing process whereby we grow in the image and likeness of Jesus. We're growing into spiritual maturity. But here, uh, for sure, he means that we were set apart from the time we were saved. From the time we believed in Christ, we were set apart by the work of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, to obey Jesus Christ. And this obedience, we should consider it this way. It is to the obedience of faith. Meaning, it is the time that we repent and believe in Jesus. The obedience of faith. That phrase is used over in Romans chapter 16. You can find it there. It has to do with receiving Christ. So this is, this is wonderful. And then he says, and be sprinkled with his blood. And this is the application of the blood by faith. The blood of Jesus applied to our lives by faith. Meaning we walk in this obedience. We walk in this forgiveness of sin that only comes by the blood of Jesus. Apart from the blood of Jesus, there is no remission of sin. But we've been sprinkled with his blood. We walk in the forgiveness that God provides. And then he just, this is such a powerful sentence. May, he says, may grace and peace be yours multiplied or in the fullest measure. And we've, we've visited that as far as the multiplication of grace and peace. Not just, not just your minimum amount of grace and peace, but maximum amount of grace and peace applied to you from God. This is, uh, we can rattle it off, okay? It, it is, um, it would be electing grace. It would be redeeming grace, regenerating grace, sanctifying grace, and persevering grace. That it's multiplied. This is Peter's heart for these folks. Receive this multiplication of grace in your life. And we say the same thing today. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. May be multiplied to you from God the Father. And then he begins this doxology, blessed be the God and Father. So this is a praise. You would think, I mean, wouldn't you think this, that people living on the edge of society, people who have lost their homes, people have, who have been disinherited, uh, people who have lost their, their job, their means to make a living, people have, who have lost their possessions, people who have been pushed to the outer limits of the spread of the gospel in the known world, that, uh, that Peter would be 
uh, you know, we'd hear some violin music along with this, right? They're poor, poor people. And Peter's not focusing on that. He says, no, you're not poor people. He's blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning it's appropriate, even in your current condition, to give him all the praise and all the glory for what he's done in your life. Notice, he talks about the great mercy of God. Where, where, how did we start this? Oh, it was as to this salvation. Right there in verse 10. Sometimes we have to preach forwards. Sometimes we preach backwards. We go backwards, we go forward. But this is a great excuse, a great time to go backwards. And to look at this salvation. What salvation? This salvation that has been lavished on us by a loving God who has just concentrated his mercy on us. There it is. Who according, verse 3, according to his great mercy. According to his great mercy. So his mercy delivers us from a miserable life. A miserable life is a life lived apart from God. A miserable life is, is lived in darkness with no hope of heaven, no hope of blessing, no hope of, of God's good favor toward us. But he's reminded of God's great mercy and he's communicating that great mercy of God to these, these people who have been scattered, many of them just, just a few in number. Together, He says, he, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be what? To be born again. You know, you, listen, to be born once is not enough to inherit heaven. You must be born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. He says, to a living hope. Our hope is alive today. It's, a, it's as alive for you and I here and now as it was for them there and then. We have a living hope. And that living hope is not just something spurious. It's not like a feather in the wind. That living hope is according or through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that living hope, there's a, there's a rational reason for our living hope. There's a concrete reality to our living hope. And that is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. So our hope's alive. Jesus is alive. Our hope is alive. And we have been born again to obtain an inheritance. And this is an inheritance that is imperishable. It can't be changed and it's undefiled. Sin can't touch it and it will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. So he says, you've got it. You've got a difficult right now. It's, it's not easy. You're in a, a situation of, of adversity and trial. As the old preacher would say, the vicissitudes of life. But he says, you have an inheritance and that inheritance is real. I just love Peter's heart for the people. He just wants them to keep the spiritual realities in the very forefront of their minds. 
Don't worry about this or that. But anchor your soul in the reality of Christ and what he provides for his own. And then he says, not only is your inheritance there, it's, it's protected, it's reserved. It's got your name on it. If you're born again, he says, not only is that there, but you, verse five, who are protected by the power of God. So what does a Christian do? Do we rely on our own, our own human wisdom to figure out how to navigate this life and survive? Well, he says there's a, there's, a, there's a power that's really better than our own human wisdom. And that is, he says, we are protected by the power of God through faith. So we trust him and his protection is on us for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And that is the last time, not this time, but the last time. And he says in this, and all of this from six and this will, this is, see, the roller coaster has been going up, up, up through verse 5. And now we are getting ready to the high point, although it's all beautiful. It's all breathtaking and overwhelming. But he says, in this, you what? You greatly rejoice. And these aren't commands. He is not wagging his finger at these people and saying, you better rejoice. You must rejoice. You are commanded to rejoice. No, these are indicatives. These are what this is. Listen, Peter is saying you, you are in a hard place. You're between a rock and a hard place. You're in difficulty, but even in difficulty, you just be who you are. Be who God created you to be when you were what? When you were born again, you were born again to be a rejoicer. And that's what we do. We rejoice. I'm rejoicing right now. I was singing that song, I Need Thee Every Hour. I was thinking, here and now, I need thee. But I'm rejoicing now because it's what? It's what God does. It, it's what he has created us to be. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So trials are part of the Christian life. And we dealt with this last week. I'm going to say it again because it's important. It's not if trials come, it's when they come. Trials are not a possible occurrence in the Christian life. Trials will come. And here's why. Because with the trial, God matures us. He helps us. He builds our spiritual muscles. That's what he does. And, and trials will help this process. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold. And what's he say about gold? He says it's perishable. Even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, you love him. Not you better love him. You love him. Why do I love him? Because I'm his child. I was born again. I was born again with a living hope to rejoice and love my Jesus. I love him. Well, why would you love him? Because he died for me. He died for me. My sins put him on the cross. 
He took my place. He took my judgment. I rejoice in that. I love him for that. He says, and though you do not see him now, which I don't see him now. I see you now. I don't see him now. He's there. He's not here. But even though I don't see him now, but what? Believe in him. Now you better believe in him. No, I believe in him because I was born again to believe. I'm a believer. I'm a rejoicer. I'm a lover of Jesus. That's who you are if you're born again. And he says, but believe in him, you what? You greatly rejoice. Now he just took joy to another level. You greatly rejoice with joy. And then he just uses superlatives to describe this uh, disposition that all of us as believers, born again believers, have in Christ. We greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Well, I lost my whatever that prized possession is, or I lost my reputation, or I lost my home, or I had to move, or I can't work, or I'm sick, or whatever. No matter, there's a heaven, and there's an inheritance, and it's for me. And in spite of all the trial, I'm going to keep on rejoicing. I'm going to keep on loving. I'm going to keep on believing, and I'm going to greatly rejoice. And as a result, verse 9, I'm going to obtain, as the outcome of my faith, the salvation of my soul. And that's true for you, it's true for them then and there, it's true for you in the here and now, if you're a born again believer. And if you're not, hear the gospel, hear the good news. The good news is that this ain't all there is. There is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. So if you haven't believed, hear the gospel today. Believe in Jesus, trust Jesus. He will forgive your sin. He will cause you to be born again. Verse 10, we do have a sermon, a sermon text and a sermon. So as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, and this is, I don't, I mean, nobody knows why Peter goes here. I would never have thought this. In fact, you read this and you go, why would he say that? But there's a reason he says it. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. Now, just a little, a little information and maybe more than you want or need, but in the literal, in the original Greek, it's as to this salvation. And then that last part is actually the first part. You made careful searches and inquiries. Who made careful searches and inquiries? The prophets. So the emphasis there is on careful searches and inquiries. That is the emphasis. In other words, those old prophets were working themselves. They were diligent, not only to write prophecies, but they searched their own writings and the writings of others. For example, Daniel 9. If you read Daniel 9, you'll find Daniel the prophet reading Jeremiah the prophet. And he's reading those prophetic words carefully and he's praying. 
and he's meditating. So that's just an example of what Peter's talking about here. He's saying the prophets of old made careful searches and inquiries. Well, what what did they want to know? Didn't they know everything? No, they didn't know everything. What did they want to know? Well, there it is in verse 11. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And, uh, and Lord, at this, at this moment, uh, we hear that song, I need thee every hour. We need you. Help us in our understanding of uh, your truth, and may we be, be built up on it, and may we uh, rejoice uh, even more expressively uh, for having done so. Uh, we give you praise and honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name that we ask, amen and amen. Amen. So here's the way I look at this, where we're at. So in the first uh, nine verses, it's the what of salvation. God did all this for you. Here in verses 10 through 12, it's how did that get done? It's um, what I would call spiritual logistics. I looked up logistics. Because I know, I know somebody to say, well, if he's going to use that word, he better be able to define it. Well, I'm not going to use their definition. I'm going to use mine. All it is, logistics is just getting the goods from point A to point B. That's simplified definition. It's how we're going to get, we got to get the goods there. I mean, we're, we are, uh, we're involved in this all the time, right? Anybody order online? I mean, you're looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Uh, uh, yeah, have you ordered online? Come on. Well, if you, if you, if you continue to want to go to the store, just keep going to the store. And then one day you'll go to the store and you'll go, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to order online. <laughs> I went yesterday and I... Had that going on in my mind, I was telling Linda, this is why people order online. We're at this big, what are we doing here? But anyway, so it's just bringing, so what we're talking about here is how God gets salvation to you. How do you do that? So Peter is encouraging these elect exiles, not only with what God's done in bringing salvation from heaven to them through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but now he he says, this is how that happened. This is the means by which God brought salvation to you. And by sharing this, he wants their joy to be ramped up even more. They're going to be more appreciative than ever. 
Don't forget the prophets. That's what he says right here. The prophets who did what? What did these prophets do? Prophets like who? Moses. Prophets like, uh, well, I mean, there's a bunch of them. Isaiah. We've read, you've heard two scriptures from Isaiah today. Moses, Isaiah, Samuel, the psalmist, David, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. These prophets, the prophets, these Old Testament prophets who prophesied of the grace. What? Old Testament prophets prophesying of grace? Well, yeah, God's the same. Uh, he's the same in the Old Testament he was as he is in the New Testament. He's, he's a gracious God. The word there is, as we always talk about, his loving kindness. Read the Psalms. His loving kindness. This is our God. So they prophesied of the grace that would come to you. And they made these careful searches and inquiries. So they were very studious. They didn't know everything. What did they want to know? They wanted to know the person. That makes sense. Who is the Messiah? Who is this one who would preach a gospel to the poor? Who is this one who would heal the sick? Who is this one who would raise the dead? Who is this one who would die on a cross? Who is this one who would rise from the dead? Who is this one who would return one day for his own? Who is this? They didn't know. They didn't know. They just, they saw through a glass darkly. So the first means by which God brings salvation to us is the prophets, the old Testament prophets. We could scour the scriptures. We could go to Genesis 3.15 and we could find out that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Who is that? That's Jesus. We could go to Genesis 49 verse 10. That the scepter will not depart from Judah. The scepter? Yeah, a king has a scepter. Judah was the kingly tribe and Jesus came from that tribe and he would wield that scepter, Jesus. We could go to Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 13, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 52, 13. He says, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up. He will be greatly exalted. Who is that? That's Jesus. You go to Isaiah 53. What would you find out there? Well, the suffering servant. You would, you would find out all that he went through, that he would, that he would be that he would be punished, that he would be uh, killed uh, for our sin. This is Isaiah. What well, Jeremiah, you go to Jeremiah. What? A righteous branch will come forth from the stump. Who is that righteous branch? That righteous branch is Jesus. How about one more? John the Baptist. Well, he's in the New Testament. Well, he's really an Old Testament prophet. He's just foretold Jesus and there's Jesus in his midst. And what's he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So from John the Baptist, we learn that the prophet, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Isn't that wonderful? And then to prove one other point, what did John the Baptist say when he was in jail? He, he told Jesus' friends, he, go, he says, go to Jesus and ask him this question. Are you the expected one or should we look for another? He was still unsure. He was a prophet. They didn't have it all lined out. You and I, what advantage we have. We look back, we see Jesus. 
There he is in the pages of the gospel. There he is living. There he is dying. There he is rising. My goodness. What an advantage we have. Appreciate the prophets. And then he goes on. I want to look at um, in the last verse there, verse 12, the apostles. The apostles right there in verse 12. He says, I'm going to start in the middle of the sentence there. But you, these Old Testament prophets were not serving themselves because Jesus didn't come in their lifetime. The Messiah didn't show up while they were writing and prophesying. He says, they weren't serving themselves, but you. Wow, what an encouragement to those people then. What an encouragement to us now that these Old Testament prophets were serving us when they wrote these prophecies. He says, in these things which now have been announced to you. Well, who were they? Who were these things announced by? They were announced by the apostles. And then he goes on to you through those who what? Who preached the gospel. Right there, we have three words, preach the gospel. In the Greek, it's one. We get our word evangelism from that word. They preach the gospel to who? To them, to you. Those elect exiles then. And we have heard that message preached through the pages of scripture by the apostles. He says, they preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now, so the first means is the prophets. The second means is the apostles. So what did the the apostles preach? There's really five parts to their collective sermons. Number one, Jesus came from heaven. Apostles like Peter, Paul, John, what did they preach? Number one, Jesus came from heaven. He left glory to come to this sinful earth. Number two, uh, that Jesus not only came from heaven, but that he died. Basically, they say, uh, they're very direct, the apostles, when they preach and they say, you killed him. You killed him. You're responsible for his death. Your sins put him on the cross. Thirdly, God raised him. God raised him. Fourthly, he will return. And then fifthly, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Our response to the presentation of the gospel. And that's how the word reached the ears of those precious people who were living on the ragged edge of society there in Asia Minor. And then thirdly, the third means is, uh, let's just, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit mentioned twice here. Verse 11, seeking to know what person or time, the Spirit of Christ within them. Within who? Within the Old Testament prophets. They were moved by the Holy Spirit to write. They wrote according to the Spirit of Christ within them. And then we have it again here in verse 12. He says, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you. How did they preach the gospel to you? By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. That's how the apostles operated. From the day of Pentecost on, the Holy Spirit was on 
the church, on the apostles, and they specifically preached the word by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So the means by which God brings salvation, he brought it through the Old Testament prophets, he brought it through the New Testament apostles, he brings it through the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, angels. Angels, and it's thinking, well, what in the world do angels have to do with us? I don't see them as a means. Well, I mean, have you ever wondered what angels do? They, you, you think, well, I wonder what it'd be like to be an angel. You fly around, you're around the throne of God, and then we, we see these moments in history where Gabriel is, is battling, or Michael is battling these archangels, battling the, the uh, demons of darkness, and, and all of that goes on in that realm. We don't understand it. We wonder what it would be like. Uh, we turn over here. Let's go here in Revelation 5. We have a astounding description of angels. John was afforded this revelation, this view of heaven. He says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and elders. And the number of them was, what was the number? Myriads. No, myriads of myriads. That's a bunch of them. That's a passel of angels and thousands of thousands. Wow. Okay, what were they doing? He tells us, verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So they're saying with a loud voice around the throne of God, they're praising God with these words. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. So these angels, for all they do, they definitely worship the living God. So that's a little bit what it's like, I guess, to be an angel. But you know, the angels look at you, and they probably ask, I wonder what it's like to be saved. I wonder what it's like to be born again because, you know, those angels in heaven, they're never born again. They never sin. They're in heaven. Now, there were angels that were cast out of heaven because of their rebellion and their sin. And there's no hope for them. But these good angels, these godly angels, they don't know what it's like to be saved. So what's he say? Sent from heaven, he says, things into which angels long to look. What things? The things of salvation. The things of the foreknowledge of God. The things of the sanctifying of the spirit. The things of obedience to Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. Those things, salvation things. They don't understand those things. Nevertheless, they praise God. In fact, the, the Bible says in Luke 15, verse 10, that there is more joy in heaven among the angels. The angels rejoicing over one sinner who repents than over the 99 who don't think they need any repentance. 
So the angels are participating in God's program of salvation to save sinners. But they don't know what it's like to be saved. And I love that last word right there. See it? Things into which angels long to look. That word is so descriptive. It means to stoop. To stoop to try to understand. And the same word is used of Peter and John on resurrection morning. What did they do when they got to the tomb? They They stooped to look in. To understand. To seek to understand what had happened. Oh, Jesus had risen from the dead. Here, the angels stoop. In order to look. In order to see. In order to try to understand what salvation is all about. And then one final thing. You know, this sermon started with two points and it got to five points in 60 seconds. There's one more thing. It's not expressly mentioned here, but it's here. It's here, but it's not here. What are we talking about? We're talking about spiritual logistics. We're talking about the means by which God brought this salvation to those people then and and us now. The last is through the word of the living God. It's not here, but it's here. That's what we've been reading. I mean, this is, this is the source of our spiritual nourishment. We, how do we find out about a loving God? But through the scriptures. How do we find out about a, a loving God who would send his only begotten son in the earth, to the earth, in the earth, to live and to die and to rise not, not for his own benefit necessarily, but for our benefit. That we might escape the flames of hell. That we might escape a miserable life. It's through the word of God. Those five things, that's the means by which God brings salvation home to our hearts. Where would we be without the Old Testament prophets? Where would we be without the New Testament apostles? Where would we be without the precious Holy Spirit working in our lives to bring us to the point of being born again? Where would we be without this thought of these mighty angels in another realm and this realm working to propagate the plan of God in the earth? And where would we be without this word? Father in heaven, we thank you for the day. And I want to pray specifically for anyone here who either has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, or or perhaps there's one here who is not sure of their salvation. God, I pray you would work in their heart. Lord, I pray that if there are any questions, they would pose those questions. They would ask those those questions. And I pray that in this moment, if they have received you, if they have believed in you, if the light has come to their mind and heart, and they're now a follower of you, I pray that they would let someone know. Lord, you've been so good to us, even in the last few minutes. We appreciate your help, and we give you 
all the glory and all the honor from here to heaven. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen.